this week I had a day that I can only describe as a stupor. And it was kind of like a stupid day too, but stupor, a day of lethargy and inertia. I could not get myself going. I could not make myself do the stuff I knew I needed to do. I blame the pandemic as I do with almost everything I don't like. It's actually very handy. Were you late to an appointment? Blame the pandemic. Did you not respond to an important text? Blame the pandemic. We have all lost our social abilities. I don't know what happened to us. Did you lose your keys? Blame the pandemic. Did you burn the toast? Blame the pandemic. It's very handy. I recommend it. So after this day of apathy, the passage that we are to read today hit me really hard. We're three weeks away from Easter, and in the countdown to Good Friday and Easter, we're turning our attention to Jesus and the cross. We're reading today in Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. Jesus has just had his last supper with his disciples, and it's the night before his crucifixion. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and agitated. Then he said to them, I am deeply grieved, even to death. Remain here and stay awake with me. And going a little further, he threw himself on the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me yet not what I want, but what you want. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, he said to Peter, because Peter had just said, I'm by your side no matter what. So you could not stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away for the second time and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass, unless I drink it, your will be done. Again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for a third time saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? See, the hour is at hand and the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. The Garden of Gethsemane. This is a familiar place to us as we walk with Jesus through the season of Lent. Earlier in the passage, we were told about the transition from the meal indoors to the nighttime garden outdoors. Verse 30 of chapter 26 says, when they had sung the hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And then the specific place is named in verse 36, Gethsemane. The word Gethsemane means oil press in the ancient Aramaic. And how aptly Gethsemane is named. The olives from the Mount of Olive were prepared first by being crushed with a heavy millstone into a mush. And the mush was then put into baskets under very heavy stones, through which the force of a, with the force of a lever pressing down, these heavy stones would weigh the olives down, pressing 
until they gave up their oil. They were pressed three times with the best quality of oil coming off the first press and the worst quality of oil coming from the last press. The disciples and Jesus were going to experience the cold shock of reality when they went from singing a worship song out into real life, out into the darkness. Jesus goes from singing to the oil press to Gethsemane where he himself was pressed so hard in mind and spirit and emotions and soul that Luke's account of the garden tells us that in his anguish, Jesus prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling on the ground. Jesus was pressed three times. Three times he cried out in anguish to his heavenly father. How do we know what he said if the disciples fell asleep? Well, they didn't fall asleep the first sentence of his prayer. We get a hint from verse 40 that these weren't sentence prayers, one sentence prayer because Jesus says to them, couldn't you stay awake with me one hour? And Jewish prayers were almost always prayed out loud, looking to he heaven. The disciples had seen Jesus pray this way many, many times. But this time they saw that Jesus threw himself on the ground. Literally, in the words are, on his face. And they heard the beginning of his agonized prayer three times. And surely they must have really tried to hang in there with him. But an hour is a long time to pray when you're tired. When your eyes close, no matter how you struggle to keep them open. Jesus did not want to endure the ordeal of his death. He knows it's coming. He's known since he set his face towards Jerusalem. He's told his disciples repeatedly that he will be killed in Jerusalem. They tried to talk him out of going. And now the moment is just about here. So before he is arrested and tortured, he prays. Jesus' prayer changed slightly from the first to the second and third time. The first time he prays, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. He's asking his heavenly father for what he wants, to avoid the suffering. If there is any other way, take that suffering away from me, if it is possible. This is a different prayer than many of my prayers. I pray for what is impossible. I pray for the Father to bend the laws of nature. Please make something happen that won't happen without your intervention. Jesus' prayer is for what is possible, not for what is impossible. And then the second and third time he prays, he says, if this cannot pass unless I drink it. And those times there's no request to take it away from him. So we see another layer of acceptance coming throughout this prayer. We see Jesus' resignation and his obedience has a, very, a firmer edge of determination. In prayer, Jesus wrestles, he petitions, he struggles, he's pressed three times, his agony ratchets up, and yet his ending place does not change. His prayer always ends, not what I want, but what you want your will be done. Can it be that his disciples were awake just long enough to hear this one prayer for their own sake, for our sake? 
Can it be that Jesus was now praying and thus modeling for his disciples how he himself had taught them to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the work of prayer because prayer, make no mistake, is hard spiritual work. Prayer is wrestling with something that we want and trying to pin our desires to the mat so that we can have peace, so that we can accept what God wants instead of what we want, especially if we don't understand God's reasonings. And this is such hard work for us. So let's think about our own prayer life. We may have a hidden, unexamined, underground assumption in our prayers that we are working on God in prayer that he wouldn't act unless we asked, and that we are changing something in God, that we're bringing something to him that if he only knew, surely he would see what I see and I would get the result that I want. Surely he can see my prayer of faith, my prayer of sincerity, and he would change the thing that I am praying about. Now we don't say it this way out loud and once we hear it said that way, we can see a lot of problems with that hidden assumption that prayer is working on God. But the hard work of prayer is often wrestling with ourselves instead, with our wants. Now, I feel very free to ask God all about my wants. I do that a lot. But taking that as a starting point not liking our circumstances too well, asking God to change them, but finally arriving at a place where we say, like our beloved Savior, if this cannot pass from me, it must be part of your plan for me, then your will be done, not mine. That is hard work. We too will have to go from a song to the press not as extreme as Jesus. We're not normally wrestling, wrestling with our unjust, violent death about to be happening. But in a lesser sense, we still have to go from singing in worship out into the pressure of the week ahead, the work ahead, the pressure of problems, the pressure of finances, the pressure of broken relationships, the pressure of health challenges. Are you familiar, this is what I'm saying, are you familiar with the journey from the hymn to the oil press in your life? From worship to reality? Jesus was. Jesus went all the way through it with no shortcuts and the pressure on him was tremendous and he dealt with pressure through prayer. By the time his betrayer comes, Jesus is ready for the ensuing long hours of interrogation and torture and crucifixion. Look at our last verse, verse 46. Get up, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And by the time Jesus stopped praying in Gethsemane, the spiritual and the emotional agony of having to go through this ordeal was bleached out of him. The physical agony was still ahead, but his spirit was steady. The bitterness has been extracted through prayer, Jesus isn't gonna hide behind a tree or flee. He is not going to rain down lightning bolts from heaven. He is not going to be rescued. 
Jesus willingly and trustingly submits to his father. He's going to face his betrayer. He is ready to absorb evil rather than rail against it, rather than inflict evil on others. And from now on in his journey, the power is in the hands of the heavenly father. Jesus does not lift a finger to help himself or to change the trajectory of what is to come. Instead, his full human trust in his heavenly father is on full display. It reminds us of the way that Jesus dealt with temptation in the desert at the beginning of his ministry. He will live by God's word, he will not test God, and he will worship God alone. He will desire and do God's will, even if it leads to his own death and suffering. So look at Jesus once he leaves Gethsemane. He won't be agitated again, not in the trial, not when people lied about him, not during his torture. And even on the cross, he takes care of his mother. He takes care of the thieves, offers paradise to them that are crucified with him. He speaks word of forgiveness over the people who were putting him on that cross. And of course, there was physical pain. There was a lot of that. There are those awfulest words from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is the last little bit of wrestling prayer that Jesus had, the last bit of anguish. And one wrestling prayer may not be enough for us. Accepting God's will, have you noticed this, often will take several cycles of wrestling. But then comes the pronouncement that lets us know that Jesus was settled in his spirit again. It is finished, he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. All the way through, through the long night and on into the crucifixion, to the moment of death, Jesus is set on doing his Father's will. And the contrast with his disciples could not be greater. Sometimes, you know, I'm reading through the Gospels and I think, you know, if I was a disciple back in those days, I would have done things differently. I would have shown a whole lot more faith. But not in this case. This week and many weeks, truth be told, I feel so much like the disciples in the garden. Jesus separates himself for prayer. He, his was the intensely personal, internal, one-on-one -on -one struggle with the Father's plan. But what he wanted and what he instructed his disciples to do is pray alongside his prayers. He didn't want to be alone in that hour. Immediately before the garden scene, Jesus tells his disciples they'll desert him. And Peter says, well, not me. Well, Peter would be the most flagrant deserter of them. But the downward spiral of desertion starts in the garden in Gethsemane. For instead of fortifying themselves for the ordeal to come, as, as Jesus was doing, the disciples slept. And Jesus kept waking them up three times. Three times they kept sleeping. And it's such a stark contrast to Jesus who really wanted their company. They sleep, he wrestles alone. Sleep is so important to me. It started when I discovered naps in college. And that was really a surprise to me because the previous child in me had rebelled against naps all my life. 
Arlu has a memory of me chewing her out in church camp. She had gotten up early to beat the crowd of women to the bathroom, which in my defense, the bathroom was just a couple steps away from our dorm, it was attached to our dorm room. And in my defense, it was in the fives. This is what I call the hour between 5 a.m. and 6. It was in the fives, in the fives. And Arlu was blow drying her hair with that high, annoying whine, a decibel that is so irritating. When I came in, roaring into the bathroom, she says, like a bear woken from hibernation too early. She says I chewed her out vigorously. I really can't remember. I can't be held responsible for what I do when I'm sleep deprived. I can't be held responsible for what I do when I am sleep deprived. You see myself absolving myself with that sentence. I can't be responsible. I have extenuating circumstances. It's really hard for me to wake up. I'm not really good at it. I'm too tired. It's Robert's fault. I, that's a very, that's close to my pandemic excuse. I learned that one from, from Adam. You just blame your spouse. Husbands come in handy that way. I think most of us have excuses for why we don't pray. What's, what's an excuse? Tell me an excuse. You don't have to claim it as your own, but what's an excuse for not praying? What? Tired? Time? I don't have the time. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm, I'm familiar with that one. I've got, you said that out loud? In a church? Oh, the truth. The truthfulness, I got better things to do. Yes. I'm too busy. I forgot. Yes. Distractions. Know how? Hmm. Oh, we have a lot, a lot of excuses for why we don't. And I can almost hear myself saying all of these excuses to Jesus. I can almost hear myself saying to Jesus, well, you know, it is the pandemic, the brain fog of the pandemic. But there's really no excuse for the failure of the disciples to pray. And I put myself right there in their sleeping midst. Jesus was alone in prayer, his lonely journey to the cross started in the garden when he was supposedly surrounded by his friends, his disciples, but he was alone. And his disciples paid a high price for their inability to pray. How would that weekend have been different for them if they had wrestled themselves in prayer until they said, if this cannot pass from me, this must be part of your plan, your will should be done, not mine. That is not a prayer you can pray on the fly. Jesus wanted, he verbalized his need for the companionship of his disciples. He needed them to be praying. And how ironic and how sad is it that the one who makes the presence of God real to others longs for human companionship in his hour of need 
and he did not receive it. Have you ever thought that Jesus wants your companionship in prayer? A gift of pure grace given to you is that when you come to your own garden of Gethsemane, where you will be pressed to your core, that Jesus is already there waiting to meet you and that he will not fail you. He's already there because he himself was pressed beyond what we will be to the limit of what a human can endure. He's already there because he wants to join you in your wrestling with God's will, having gone through it himself and having come out on the side of obedience and trust. He's already there because he has felt the depths of anguish. He has felt the desire to turn away from the path he found himself on. He knows all about that and he is there because nothing will make pressure better except prayer. When we wrestle with ourselves, when we wrestle with our circumstances, we are not alone. We have the companionship of a suffering savior. Our prayer under pressure is a gift that we can give to God. Because as we open ourselves in prayer, the shift inside us starts. With the companionship of our suffering savior, we can go from agitation to peace, from wrestling to trusting. Now we're gonna have to do that again in a few hours or the next day, but our suffering savior helps us with those things. So let's deal with pressure through prayer. I wanna ask us to pray um, the Lord's Prayer. And then when we say the words, your kingdom come, your will be done, stop right there on your will be done. And think of a pressure that you are facing. Think of a pressure and bring that to God. And then we're gonna repeat that line and continue on in prayer. Um, I'm gonna ask that if you can kneel, that you will kneel, that's our sign of submission. I guess I'm gonna come for that microphone. So kneel with me if you wish. I would have taken us out into the lawn with the grass to symbolize our kneeling at the Garden of Gethsemane. But we can hear the birds. So let's come to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Stop there. Bring to God the thing that is most pressing on your mind. And with that in your hands, reaching it out to God, giving it to God, let's repeat that line. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And we mean it, Lord, over this that we are handing you. We mean it. 
Your kingdom come, your will be done. Let's continue. On earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. We meet in Altadena every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Pacific, both in the sanctuary and on YouTube. Most other events will be starting up soon. But if you need prayer now, please reach out to us at altabapprayer at aol.com. And again, as always, we pray God's blessings on you this week.